0: chapter 10 of the art of travel this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org recording by gary olman harness saddles for riding good saddles for riding and i may add especially for packing are of nearly as great importance as the goodness of the animal who carries them. English saddlers never, I believe, can be induced to stuff a saddle insufficiently because they have no opportunity of seeing the miserable, scraggy condition of a travel horse's back, to which it is destined to fit. But an English saddle re-stuffed at a bush frontier town is excellent. Three rings and nine of what saddlers is called d's should be fixed to the saddle not simply into the leather-work but firmly riveted or secured into the tree itself this must be especially insisted on or frequent disasters will occur the three rings are to be fixed on the pommel one on the top one on each side of it the nine d's are placed as follows three along the back of the saddle Two more on each side of the seat and two in front of the breastplate. Fittings. To those may be tied a light valise in front, a gun holster on the right of the panel, and a small bag containing odds and ends, gunpowder, spare bullets, a few presents, etc., on its left. On the right of the seat, a sabre-tache or thin leather portfolio-shaped pocket for paper and writing materials. On the left, the water canteen in hobbles, behind the crupper, and small saddlebags. A breastplate is not worth having except in a very hilly country. This description of a saddle, of course, applies to that of the traveling horse. For the saddle of the shooting horse, the arrangement is different. Only the gun holster, and perhaps the water canteen, can then be taken. An ox carries a saddle precisely like a horse i rode mine nearly sixteen hundred miles in south africa with a common hunting saddle and its ordinary girths in default of riding saddles a pack-saddle must be cushioned to form a comfortable seat see pack-saddles saddle-bags are so troublesome to open and require so much straps that i believe it is best to use a bag of mackintosh or canvas rolled up and tied behind the saddle where it should rest on a pad. The pad is made of two cushions, each nine inches long and four broad, sewn on a piece of leather, lying parallel to one another and four inches apart. The space between the cushions corresponds to the backbone of the horse. To keep the hole in shape, it is usual to stitch four or five lathes of wood lengthwise to the upper surface of the pad. Upon these lathes, the bag will rest if there be occasion to carry a bag on a horseback for a short distance pass one of the stirrup leathers through its string then throw the bag over the other side of the saddle it will be behind the rider's leg and be out of his way and he will sit upon part of its string australians as is well known insist on the merits of swag or a long package formed by rolling all their positions into their blanket they carry it over the saddle bows sore backs sore backs are the plague of beasts a burden for if the skin be once broken it will never heal thoroughly again during the whole journey every precaution should therefore be taken at first starting the saddle should be well stuffed the saddle cloths ample and without hem or edging blankets are as good as any the journeys should be short the pack light and carefully balanced rests of a day or two should frequently be given and salt water should be rubbed on the back traveling in this very early morning it is found to be bad for animals backs but traveling late at night is not so an australian correspondent remarks that a party of travelers or explorers in australia On leaving their camp, invariably saddle their horses with ample saddle cloths below the saddle and assist each other by turn to fold the cloths in various ways. For instance, if the ridge of the back or wither should be found galled, the cloths would be folded up so that the saddle should rest entirely on the two fold pads as in the figure. Other modes of folding will suggest themselves according to the way in which the back may be rubbed. The first appearance of a sore back is a small, hardish swelling or wobble. This must at once be attended to, either by folding the saddle cloth in some appropriate way or by picking out the saddle stuffing so as to ease all pressure off it. Otherwise, it will get larger and larger, and a single day will convert what might have been easily cured into a serious and irremediable gall. Girth galls on their first appearance may be relieved, if not cured, by sewing two rolls of soft woolen material onto the girth. The hair from the animal's mane or tail has been used on an emergency to stuff a saddle. Pack saddles when traveling. Cut four bent pieces of touchwood and two small planks. Season them as well as you can. See wood to season and join them together as in Figures 1 and 2, using raw hide in addition to nails or pegs. Stuffed cushions must be secured inside the planks by tying or otherwise. With a saw and a mortise chisel, a saddle of the pattern shown in figure 3 would be easy to make. It is stronger than the one just described, and the notched crossbar is very convenient for the pack ropes. Pack Saddles Made by Saddlers There has been, perhaps, no journey in which pack-horses worked so effectively as during the exploration of North Australia under Mr. Gregory. I am much indebted to Mr. Baines, the artist of the expedition, who has subsequently travelled extensively for the following very interesting account. The pack saddles were made after a model by Mr. Gregory and are the best I have yet seen. Two boards of light wood are connected by bows of iron, one and one half inch wide, one quarter inch thick, with hooks inserted in either side for the pack bangs to hook on The strap for the breastings, breechings, and girths was screwed to the boards. The crupper passed through a ring on the after bow and a light pad, which could easily be taken out to be restuffed, was secured by small thongs. Passed through the holes in the ends of the board we had two girths which crossed each other under the horse in unloading the next strap is unbuckled on the near side also the breasting and girths and the hole is drawn off behind the pack bags were made of one width of canvas turned up so as to have no seam in the bottom pair-shed pieces were sewn in to form the ends and rope was stitched along the seams having eyes above, by which the bag was hung upon the hooks, figure two. The flower bags were made of canvas of the usual width with a round bottom stitched into them. The mouth was sewn up when full, and an oil bag of the same size drawn over it. When all our horses were saddled up, the word on packs was given. Dr. Muller and I used to work together and had our packs laid out in pairs so that when each horse was led between his bags, we hooked them on at the same moment. When we halted, we laid our bags on a couple of poles to keep them from the ground as in the drawing. The bags sometimes came off when we were traveling, but it was generally easy to catch the horse and reload him. When a horse rolled over or fell in a river, it was rather advantageous than otherwise to get clear of them. Our waterproof bags were of leather lined with waterproof cloth, just large enough to fill one of the campers' back bags. They had a brass neck with a worm inside, in which we screwed a plug of soft wood. There was rarely, if ever, occasion to use them. Each pair of bags was carefully balanced, one against the other, that the horse might not be unequally loaded. The average weight of stores carried in each bag was 75 pounds, making a load at starting or 150 pounds, exclusive of bags, packages, or salary. Bells were attached to the necks of the horses most apt to stray, but the clappers were tied up with a piece of thong to keep them quiet on the march, and were loosened at night so that the sound might guide us in searching for them next morning. We watched two hours each during the night. The morning watch boiled the water and woke the rest at four. We made our breakfast of tea or coffee, damper, and pork, which we ate raw, and went out for the horses, which were generally saddled up and on the move, before sunrise. We traveled to one or two. When we led the horses to water, looked to any sores that might be caused by the pressure of their saddles, dressed them and altered the stuffing of the saddle to give them relief. And after dinner, which was rather a brief ceremony, had the rest of the day for scientific or artistic pursuits. That is, if something else did not require immediate attention, we could never trust to our guns for provisions, as game was very scarce and we had no opportunity of seeking it. Sir so Samuel Baker gave considerable attention to the subject of pack saddles. The following is his account of the method he adopted in Africa. I had arranged there the donkeys packed so well that they carried their loads with the greatest comfort. Each animal had an immense pad, well stuffed with goat's hair. This rested from the shoulder to the hip bones. Upon this rested a simple form of saddle made of two forks of bows inverted and fastened together with rails. There were no nails in these saddles, all the fastenings being secured with thongs of rawhide, the great pad projecting before and behind, and also below the side of the saddle, preventing the loads from chafing the animal. Every donkey carried two large bags made from the hides of antelopes that I had formerly shot on the frontier of Abyssinia and these were arranged with toggles on the one to fit into loops on the other so that the loading and unloading was exceedingly simple the success of an expedition depends mainly upon the perfection of the details and where animals are employed for transport the first consideration should be bestowed upon saddle packs The facility of loading is all-important, and I now had an exemplification of its effect upon both animals and men. The latter began to abuse the camels and to curse the father of this and the mother of that, because they had trouble of unloading them for the descent into the river's bed. When the donkeys were blessed with endearing names of my brother and alternately whacked with a stick. The Art of Packing The art of good packing is to balance the packs accurately and to lash tightly to the saddle so that they will never slip. The entire load is then secured to the animal's back by moderate girthing. It is going on a false principle to wind one long cord around the horse, saddle, and packs, making, as it were, a great faggot of them. To tighten the lashings of a pack, thrust a stick through them, twist it forcibly round and round till the lashings are screwed tight enough, and then secure the stick. Half-filled sacks require to have lace of wood or a handful of twigs put between them and the packing cord to equalize its pressure. Otherwise, they are strangled out of shape and never lie firmly against the saddle. Other harness. Cruppers. A crupper rope should be passed through the leather tube Fitting It Loosely Cruppers for pack saddles adapted to very mountainous countries like those used in Norway can readily be made by traveling instead of employing a ring to enclose the tail of the beast, which is sure to fret its sides. He should pass a curved bar of wood a foot long underneath the tail and tie a cord to the pack saddle from either end of the bar. Girths A roll of spare webbing should be taken to patch up torn girths. But a good substitute for a girth is made by cutting a band of tanned or even of dressed leather to within four inches of its end into seven or nine bands and plating these together. But it takes a beginner just ten times as long to plate a girth as to weave it, and therefore, for making more than one girth, it is well worth while to set up a rude loom. Do this as though you were making a mat. See mat. Girths need not be buckled. They may be laced. Stirrups must be very roomy, enough to admit clumsy-shaped shoes such as are made in the bush. They must be broad under the sole of the foot and also at the place which rubs against the little toe. Unless they are heavy, it is not easy to find them with the foot. Travelers in South Africa cut them out from any thick, raw hide. That of a giraffe, rhinoceros, or sea cow does admirably. A wooden stirrup may be cut or burnt out of a block. It should have lead melted into it to give it sufficient weight. A stick and a thong, as shown in the figure, is a poor makeshift. Willow, or any other lithe wood, is easily bent into the required shape, especially if its outer edge be nicked with a knife otherwise it would be a mere loop of wood such as it represented in the next figure but two in the paragraph on rings bridles and bits leave behind all english notions of snaffles and double reins and ride with nothing but an easy curb the horse must also carry a headstall and a halter i like one with plenty of tassels to keep off the flies A temporary substitute for a curb is made by noosing a string and putting the noose round the horse's lower jaw. If the string be long enough, it can be doubled back again and tied to the other side of the noose so as to make a complete bridle. The groom's fashion of giving the halter a hitch and putting it round the jaw is well known. Buckles A contrivance like this will often be found useful to replace a buckle and strap. By twisting the lower thong more tightly, its length can be shortened as much as may be required. If the tongue of a buckle breaks, a nail or a peg pushed through the buckle hole, as in the figure below, will replace it. To padlock a bag A padlock passed through the next buckle hole, as is shown in the same figure prevents pilferers from unbuckling and opening the package. It is well to learn some artful sailor's knots for tying up bags with which other people cannot meddle without you finding out. Rings. In packing gear and other harness, use is frequently made of rings. Iron ones may be replaced by a loop of tough wood such as the peasants of the Campania commonly employ. A piece of the thickness of a small walking stick and eight inches long is bent, see wood to bend. Its arms are notched when they cross and are firmly nailed or lashed. Tethers, hobbles, and knee-balters. Cattle may be secured at night by being tethered, hobbled, knee-halted, or driven into an enclosure made of bushes. The nature of the country, and what dangers are apprehended, determine which plan is most advisable. A knee halted horse has a good chance of escape if he sense a wild beast that is creeping up to him, for he can gallop, though with labor, to a short distance. A hobbled horse has no chance at all, though, indeed. They have been known to fight desperately with their teeth and feet and learn to be cunning and watchful. If the hobbles are of iron and made like handcuffs, it is hardly possible for robbers at all events for savages to unlock or cut them. A horse that is hobbled or knee-halted can graze during the night, but if tied up or pounded, his grass must be cut for him. A horse may be successfully hobbled with a stirrup leather by putting its middle round one fetlock, then twisting it half a dozen times, and lastly buckling it round the other fetlock. The hobble used by Mr. Gregory takes into five separate pieces, viz. Two fetlock straps, A1 and A2, a chain, B, having a swivel point, C, in the middle and two double pot hooks d one d two, which pass through the eyes in the fetlock straps and also through the end links in the chain. The two ends of both d one and d two are thickened and pierced so as to admit of tying a thong across their mouths, as shown on one side of d two. The fetlock strap is made of a strip of thick leather folded lengthwise down its middle and having its edges sewn together the sewn edge should always be uppermost when on the horse's legs oxen are often picketed to their yokes i have already mentioned that it is hazardous to secure ride and pack oxen by their nose rings as they will tear themselves loose without heeding the pain if really frightened horses are often tied to the wheels etc of the wagon When you wish to picket a horse in the middle of a sandy plain, dig a hole two or three feet deep, and tying your rope to a faggot of sticks or bushwood, or even to a bag filled with sand, bury this in it. See, dateram, Swivel. The woodcut shows how a makeshift swivel can be fitted to a tether rope. Without one the rope will be twisted almost to a knot by the horse walking round and round his picket peg. With one the rope will turn freely on the hole through which its large knotted head prevents it from being drawn. The figure below is a better sort of swivel. It must be made of hard tough wood like oak. It is six inches in length. It has I presume some advantages over those of iron, because in country where iron abounds, as in Piedmont, it holds its ground against them. The ropes have been drawn thinner than their just proportions for the sake of distinctiveness. I give a drawing of yet another description of swivel; it is a trifle more complicated than the first, but I am assured that it acts so much better as to be greatly preferable. Horse collar. This, in its simplest form, consists of two stout bars that are a little bent or shaped with a knife. They go one on either side of the animal's neck and are tied together both above and below it. To these bars, which are very thickly padded, the traces are fastened. Traces and trektows. Can be made of raw hide, cut into long thong, then bent into three parts, and twisted and laid together, as is done in rope-making. The hole is then stretched tight between two trees to dry. An ox-hide will make a trechtal for four pairs of oxen. Poles of wood are very generally used as traces, a thong or a few links of chain being fastened at either end by which to attach them. Greasing harness. In the dry climate, Take frequent opportunities of greasing every part of the harness. See hides, leather to grease. End of chapter ten. Recording by Gary Olman, West Palm Beach, Florida.